Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now in our third season, and we remain just as excited as ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on urban waters and waterways. So why do we even look at or what do we think about urban waters? Well, cities share one key characteristic. They're full of people, buildings, and businesses, and all of those are interacting together, doing lots of things. And because of that, everyone shares the same relative space, same air and water, as well as the same environmental impacts, which tend to be concentrated in smaller areas in those urban areas, including the waterways. The urban waterways are also known as streams or just urban streams. We all are probably walking by them or driving over them kind of inadvertently every day. But they're basically waterways that pass through an urban area or receive stormwater runoff from an urbanized catchment. Urban waterways play a key role in livable communities by sustaining plants and animals, providing social and cultural connection, and supporting economic development through tourism and agriculture. The health of urban waterways is heavily influenced by the degree of urbanization. It's also influenced by the vegetation, the forestry, the trees that are there, by the road and building construction, as well as by the polluting activities. And all of these tend to increase with frequency and volume, as well as uh, increasing the effect of polluted stormwater flowing into the waterways, and it significantly can degrade health. Urban waters take on large amounts of pollution from a variety of sources, including all those things that make up a, a city, that is cars and trucks, residential buildings, commercial buildings, wastewater, trash, runoff from other urban landscapes, and on and on. And as urban populations often share centralized water sources, their pollution creates public and environmental health hazards, like lowered drinking water quality and water or bodies of water that really aren't safe to swim in. Also, urban patterns of development often make the waterways inaccessible to adjacent neighborhoods, and lack of access to the urban waterways limits the community's ability to reap the benefits of living so close to some kind of waterway, whether through recreation, fishing, or access to real estate. But if taken care of properly, urban waters and urban waterways can also yield positive impacts for population in both the urban areas as well as the areas that are adjacent or upstream. Now, public spaces along rivers and lakes offer residents the opportunity for community gatherings, for recreation, as well as for environmental education. 
And in addition, the increased access to these urban waterways can spur creation of economic development, including new jobs, as well as growth of local businesses. So why should this matter to us, especially those among us who are in fairly landlocked places? Well, water quality touches all of us every day. Through the water we drink from the tap, the water we use to shower and swim in, and the water we use to provide for our plants and our crops. Your local water utility serves a key role. Their key role is treating wastewater and drinking water, but also they are key to ensuring access to clean waters and the land surrounding them. But that really, before you get to your local utility, it really starts with us. Urban areas have the potential to pollute water in many, many ways. Runoff from streets carry oils, rubber, heavy metals, and lots of other nasty stuff from our cars. Untreated or poorly treated sewage can be low in some of the minerals it needs and high in pollutants, such as bacteria, phosphates, chemicals, even drugs that we've thrown away to be disposed of. And then treated sewage can still be high in, in some groundwater and surface water contaminants from sources such as our garbage or those plastic bags that we throw away or toxic waste or chemical storage or other things that may be leaking, such as fuel storage tanks. And again, there can be intentional as well as unintentional dumping of hazardous substances. And then there's air pollution caused by all the things that are around it that can lead to acid rain, uh, various other nasty chemicals being deposited and it can actually alter the water chemistry of everything that's surrounding us. Now, the recognized problems associated with our conventional urban waters and urban waterways, as well as the infrastructure, are many, and they're all around us. And we're going to discuss those today. As well, urban settlements or towns are subject to a continuum of changes driven by the demographics, driven by the economic situation, driven by politics, environmental issues and considerations, cultural factors, as well as social factors. And citizens are concerned about water security, about flooding, about the health of the waterways, about the affordability of the water services. They're concerned about climate change and the environment. And again, we're going to try to unpack some of these today. But the future livability of our cities is challenged by population growth and a changing climate, all of which impacts on the environment that sustains us. So as you can see, water and waterway management are critical. Now, this is a lot, but here today to help us unpack and understand this some more are Jeff Odafree with the American Rivers Group and Mark Yagi with Waterkeepers Alliance. Now, Jeff works to improve the health and vitality of communities through better stormwater regulation and management, and he's been with American Rivers for over 10 years. And for the previous eight years, Jeff was a staff attorney at the Waterkeeper Alliance, where he was directing programs to solve water quality problems caused by runoff and factory farms. And Jeff has been also a staff attorney with the Hudson Riverkeeper and a curator of public arts programs. Jeff has a JD from Pace University School of Law. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me today, Bernice. It's a real pleasure. And our other guest, Mark Yagi, is Chief Executive Officer of the Waterkeeper Alliance. And they are the largest and fastest growing nonprofit that's solely focused on clean water. 
And Mark has dedicated his entire career to environmental advocacy, and he's been instrumental in expanding the Waterkeeper movement around the world for nearly 20 years. And before joining Waterkeeper Alliance, Mark was a senior attorney and watershed program director for Riverkeeper, Inc., Previously, Mark served as a staff attorney with the Environmental Law Institute in Washington, D.C., and he has a J.D. in environmental law from Pace University. Welcome, Mark. Did I get all of that right? Yes, Bernice, and thanks so much for having me here today, and I'm grateful to join here with Jeff. I'm glad. You and Jeff have worked a lot together. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems as though, compared to a lot of the other environmental issues that, that we talk about and unpack, every week on Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. I don't know, urban watersheds, just it, it doesn't seem to maybe be uh, as many organizations working on that particular environmental issue as I see on a lot of others. I don't know why. But we are so glad that you all could join us to help us understand this. So let's start off with you, Jeff. You can talk with us a little bit about how do waterways affect our environment? I don't think people yeah. have a tendency to associate water and waterways with the environment. It's mostly associated with ourselves. Well, Bernice, your introduction did probably the best, most encyclopedic storytelling around how that connection unfolds, right? Um, so I'm going to stay with your theme and talk about how waterways affect or impact or intersect with an urban environment. And there's a tagline we use here at American Rivers. We say rivers connect us. And that connection can come in, you know, three different ways, probably, maybe more. But I think about there are positive intersections there, positive connections. There's some negative aspects, and you listed some of those out already. And then there are some that are a little bit more fraught with challenges. So let's just start with the good news. How do waterways affect urban environments in a positive way? They give us those kind of cultural, liberal spaces in which to recreate. They give us habitats that are crucial for wildlife. They give us business and economic development opportunities. We see lots of, uh, like, urban waterfront revitalization going on right now. You went through the roster of negative impacts. It's like our built environment is a source of, of pollution, is a source of flooding, is a source of occasional harm to humans, wildlife, uh, and, and the planet. So there's that that we wrestle with, as well as kind of inequities and social justice uh, injustices that are associated with how communities are built around water. And then there are these challenges. How do we create communities that are in urban areas that are more resilient to climate change and utilize water as a resource more than as a, you know, an industrial stream? How do we create access that's equitable and creates, uh, gives our urban populations places to, to be, to be human? It is a big topic, and I'm looking forward to breaking this down a little bit more deep. It is, and we're going to go to break shortly, but I'll tell you one of the things that the question just, just came to my mind as you were talking about that. On our last show, we talked about the problems with oceans, and of course now we're moving to urban waterways. And I know at that time we talked about the fact that environmentally oceans help to do a number of, quote, environmental services, like mm-hmm. sequestering, was it CO2, out of the environment, and they're part of that continuum. Do urban waterways do any of that, or are they too unpredictable in size, shape, and location, or whatever? Really briefly, and if we have to go, we'll, we'll bring it back on the other side. You know, they do. And you think about uh, some of those environmental benefits, some of those envir- ecosystem services relate to how we are healthy as human beings. So rivers, in, even in urban areas, promote human health. And I hate to stop you, but you're starting off some good stuff. We're going to go to break. And after the break, okay. we will come back for you to really uh, dig more into how the rivers and the waterways uh, are promoting human health uh, or providing, quote, environmental services. 
like the oceans do. Thank you. We'll be right back on the other side. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on urban waters and urban waterways. And we are back with Jeff Odafi with American Rivers and with Mark Yagi with the Waterkeepers Alliance. And before the break, Jeff had just started telling us more about some of the environmental services, so to speak, that urban waters and waterways provide for us. Like, as I was mentioning, our last show on oceans and the problems with oceans, our experts were letting us know some of the environmental services that the oceans provide. The the key of which I remember is sequestration or absorption of CO2 from the air. So they help to some degree enhance the climate by taking out some of those poisonous things out of the air. So if you would continue on that, Jeff, telling us about what environmental services the urban waterways provide for us. Let's start with just the most basic. You know, our urban waterways in many places are the sources of drinking water for hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So stewarding that resource is a crucial job and a crucial contribution to our own health, our public health, and vibrancy of our communities. Um, as we think about the city upstream and down, which is another kind of nice tagline we like to use, We see waterways intersecting with urban areas and providing those recreation opportunities, right? Providing kind of green spaces often um, where they're well cared for, for people to encounter, you know, quiet, places to encounter wildlife, places to encounter rest and relaxation. And then you think about not just the waterway, but our stewardship of the waterway, the way we can create communities that are more responsive, more protective of urban waters particularly through uh, practices we, we often refer to as green infrastructure or low-impact development, that creates urban greenery. And again, kind of creating like opportunities to reduce heat island effect, cool off our playgrounds, our streets, our, our neighborhoods, to promote better air quality through plants and trees. These are all things that are connected to improving our human health uh, via treatment of our waterways. Indeed. Thank you. And Mark, I want to move to you now to talk a little bit about why people should care about what happens to our urban waters and waterways. But before you do that, one of the things, and I don't know if I talked about it early, we talk about waterways, urban waters and waterways. Uh, let's kind of define that, tell people what we're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're talking about urban rivers being, you know, important ecological corridors. They're 
sometimes it's a formerly natural waterway that flows through a heavily populated area. Sometimes it's it's a it's a fully um, natural waterway that throws. But usually you're talking about something that's going through a an urban heavily populated area, and they are you know people should care about these waterways. And I think where I would start with, and I think you and Jeff have have laid out the case pretty well. And I like to take it back to really just the fundamental concept that water is our most important natural resource, right? If you think about it for just a minute, you know, no part of our lives is unaffected by water. You get to the very basic, right? We drink it or we die, but then, you know, we use it to grow crops. We wouldn't have clothing without water. And we fish in our waterways to provide parts of our diet. Um, We bathe with it. We wash with it. It's a source of, I use Jeff's reference to recreation and, and relaxation and rejuvenation. And it's our, our relationship with water is so intrinsic to our existence, but yet we often take it for granted. And, you know, we know that people love being on in and around water and studies show that it, it makes us happier. It makes us healthier. It reduces stress and it brings us peace. And most of us have really powerful memories of water. And when people get that connection to a waterway, they're more likely to be an advocate for it. And in in some cases, you might think about a special beach vacation or being out on a lake with a family. But we also make those connections in our daily lives in urban settings. Yeah, Here in North Texas, we don't have a lot of that. So we have a lot of waterways and pods of water that we built. Right, yes. (laughs) And they are just as valuable to us as the natural ones. Indeed, that's related to what you were saying before, Bernice, that the people can make a connection to their, their urban waterway maybe when they're on a lunch break and they go down to eat on a park bench next to the waterway by the river or by the creek, or they go down to read a book in the evening after work next to the waterway, or take their kids on a stroll to skip stones, or go out canoeing on the local waterway. You can do that in Atlanta. You can do that in so many different um, urban waterways. There are opportunities to interface. And, you know, these waterways are the lifeblood of our communities and of our existence, and we need to treat them like that. And, and not that I want to go too much further into the weeds on this, but we're going to have some guests next week from one of our regional utilities where they've got two major waterways lakes that they have built, and they built them for purposes of providing their water utility services. But both of these have become sought-after recreation places, and one of them they actually use to filter the wastewater. So I, I guess the other thing to mention, I want to mention, is that these waterways can be in and of themselves, a piece of infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jeff and I both know that from having worked on New York City's drinking water supply system, where up in the Catskills and and even up in Westchester County and Putnam County here in New York, they've created massive reservoirs that people will use for recreational opportunities. Where you're allowed, you've got to have certain permits, things in those cases, but they're popular fishing sites and are, are used by people regularly. So they they are vital. I mean, I think we see that over in, uh, where's this place that built these islands? Um, Dubai. (laughs) You know, people who don't have water (laughs) go to great extremes to have it and build it. So again, it it, it certainly is a a requirement. So I understand. I was just wanted to latch onto your comment about these water bodies, whether they're created or natural, as being infrastructure. And that's a crucial thing to keep in mind because infrastructure whether it's a highway bridge, um, you know, or a bike path or something that requires care and maintenance. It requires a bit of stewardship and responsibility on our part. And you think about our urban waterways often not getting the treatment that other infrastructure in the most positive way does, right? We don't invest in our urban waterways as deeply as we do in our urban roadways. And at the same time, we have a, we rely on a tremendous amount of water-related infrastructure. 
whether it's delivering fresh drinking water or tearing away our wastewater and our, and our stormwater. And those, that type of infrastructure is also chronically underinvested, right? It's the literal, like, out of sight, out of mind in many places. So failing water infrastructure is a serious concern for many urban communities. And then there's a bunch of disparity built into that, like where is water infrastructure healthy and where is it failing and where is it affordable and where is it not? So I think that you inadvertently opened up like a, a giant <laughs> conversation with that just one word, infrastructure. I did because it, it, what you said just encourages me to ask you, that: do you see that recognition of water as this vital infrastructure? Do you see that improving or changing? I, I'm going to be the positive one today and say, yes, I think it is changing. I think there's an increasing appreciation for the need to invest in equitable water infrastructure, the need to invest in innovative solutions to solving some of our water supply and water pollution problems and a changing dynamic within the like the water utility community that, that you mentioned earlier. I mean, we, we work with water utility partners quite a lot, and there's just a ton of innovation happening in that industrial sector, um, particularly as kind of generations change. So uh, I am hopeful that we're starting to see like need for and celebration of investments in water infrastructure, whether it's the, the multi-benefit lakes that you were talking about or or green infrastructure as part of community revitalization and protect urban waters. Mark, you want to weigh in on that? I, I agree that I am hopeful about it. I'd also say that we aren't investing nearly enough in our infrastructure. It's, you know, whether you're upgrading a sewage treatment plant to keep raw or partially treated sewage out of the waterway, or investing in our faulty and aging pipes that are leaking out our drinking water. You know, it's estimated that we are, uh, we're losing nearly 2 trillion gallons of water a year from old pipes. I mean, the pipes in, in the Northeast, I know, for example, are 50 years old on average, and, and they're leaking. Uh, we, it's been estimated that we need almost $5 trillion to invest in our drinking water and sewage treatment plant facilities. And so the, the money out of the infrastructure bill is just a meager drop in the bucket of where we need to be. What do you see as the top environmental problems with our urban waters and waterways now? Well, there are so many. Uh, I would, That's why I said top ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, I'm going to pick three, and I think one of them would be infrastructure. We just covered that, so let me break uh-huh. it down to two. Uh, and I'm going to go in a direction where I think it's getting more attention, but has a long way to go, and it's, it's involving things you can't see. And, you know, due to the efforts of so many active and engaged citizens, many of our waterways, our urban waterways are looking better. You don't see the Chattahoochee River, some of these other rivers in GDC, visible trash everywhere anymore. And it's not like the river's on fire anymore like it was in the 1960s. They look cleaner. In many cases, there are. But what we need to be aware of is there are invisible pollutants that are getting into our drinking water. And Such as what? Well, some are called emerging contaminants. So one would be like PFAS. And I know I told you I wouldn't use any acronyms, but you can say PER or polyfluoral alcohol. But my listeners have heard it. Uh, a couple of months ago, we talked about plastic pollution. And, of yeah. course, we had to talk about waters then. Yeah, and we've got, you know, there's more than 7,000 of these man-made chemicals that were made by accident in the 1930s. And um, today they're in, in nonstick cookware, microwave popcorn bags, pizza boxes, carpets, jackets, you know, that are waterproof or water-resistant, shampoo, dental floss, and in the water in our fish, and i sad to say in our blood, most of us, probably all of us. You know, research shows that it's, that they are linked to certain types of cancer and kidney issues and immunological problems. And, and Mark, I'm going to have to stop you to go to break, but you, what is the third? And then we'll talk more about it in detail on the other side. You mentioned infrastructure, 
uh, invisible, PFAS, and you said three. What would be the third you were going to say? We'll I, open it up after the break. Storm water is always a huge one for the waterways. Okay. We're going to go to break now, and when we come back, we'll come back to Mark so he can finish telling us about his top three issues, and then we'll hear from Jeff on his top three. We'll go to break now, and we'll be right back on the other side with these two experts who are really making us smarter in terms of uh, the issues and problems around waters and urban waterways. back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on urban waters and urban waterways. And we are back with Mark Yagi with the Waterkeepers Alliance, and with Jeff Odafree with American Rivers. And they really are making us smarter. Now, before the break, though, uh, Mark was giving us <laughs> his top three uh, environmental problems with urban waters and waterways. He told us about infrastructure, invisible pollution in terms of PFAS and storm water. Anything else on that that you want to add to those three, Mark, before we hear Jeff's top three? You know, I know Jeff works on stormwater a lot, so and, and you covered that a lot at the beginning because we've got these urban watersheds where that are heavily covered in pavement, right? So you, whether it's roads, parking lots, office parks, homes, and other structures that are part of our built environment. And if you're in a natural landscape, when it rains, that's going to seep down through the, the soil and the, and the root systems and purify the water and go into our aquifers and our, our groundwater. But when you have pavement, it's, the roadways are designed to get that water off as quickly as possible and into the waterway. And just think about what's on those roads, right? It's oil and, and gas and grease from our cars. It's fertilizers, pesticides, pet waste, um, all kinds of nasty stuff that's just going directly into our waterways. And so that's been a long-time struggle because it's something that we're all responsible for. And a lot of times you can, you know, some of these issues that can be a little bit easier to wrap your head around because you can look at this evil corporation is discharging this toxic chemical into the waterway and they're the villain. Um, we're all the villain in stormwater and it's hard to pinpoint one particular person who's at fault or one particular entity that can be the, the villain in this case. Okay. And my question, my next question was going to be, which seems to be where a lot of uh, Jeff does his work. And that is, what would you say is probably, or perhaps in your opinion, the most often experienced everyday impact of environmental degradation on our waters and waterways. Is that stormwater? Is that the most often experienced, the one that most people most often engage with or come in contact with? What do you think, Jeff? What do you see? Yes and no. Yes, because stormwater has those effects that Mark was just talking about. They really do degrade our urban waters. Uh, or create flooding in our neighborhoods. And I think, and we'll see kind of like, I grew up splashing around a creek that ran through kind of like suburban area, and it was mm-hmm. heavily you know, eroded by, by these stormwater flows. So it didn't look like a creek anymore. It looked like a miniature Grand Canyon. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you, another one to be on my list is is a chain link fence, right? How many of our urban waterways are behind a chain link fence? And we can't oh, get okay. them anymore. How separated are we from the these kind of lifebloods, right, the, the waters that flow to our urban areas? We just don't, as urban dwellers, aren't really often able to kind of get down to the water. And if we are, you know, maybe we have to scramble over a fence or over some concrete blocks or something like that. And I talked a little bit earlier about how removing the fence, removing the concrete, creating kind of livable spaces along river can be a real positive, right, a nutrient almost for our communities, our sense of self. But having those barriers to engaging with our rivers, um, I think, deprives us of so many things. I would think 
that barriers to the rivers or waterways also either take away or do not allow for the full impact of environmental benefits that the rivers can generate, you know, themselves. I have to think that barriers may do something with the flow or something like that. Sure. Even beyond just the aesthetics and the social and cultural. Many of our urban areas came of age during the Industrial Revolution time, right? So you can think of Think of these kind of dams that are across many of our rivers that have outlived their useful life. Then do what you just described, create barriers to flow, create barriers to fish, keep symbolizing for our eyes and, and for our, you know, our neighbors that this is an industrial waterway. It's not a natural system. And the more we can get away from that perception by taking down the chain link or taking down the dams, the more we're able to reconnect our our own sense of self with um, with our urban waterways. And then, to Mark's point earlier, then we care more, right? Then, then we're acting to protect, to steward, to create healthier waterways because we have a personal interest in connecting to them. Now I want to move to discuss uh, uh, the impact of urban waters and waterways on human health. And I want to use an example that both of you all mentioned, and that was stormwater. And I guess that's the stuff that flows down these little, the, the, the catchments on the side of the road in, in people's streets. I'm sure. Let's, looking let's at, ask, I'm we've look. been using that term a lot. Let's define it. Uh, and Mark yeah. did a, a pretty good job. <laughs> Let, let's come back. So stormwater, it's a wonky term. And what it means is like the rain that falls on our rooftops, the rain that falls on our parking lots, driveways, and streets. And where does that go? It goes down the gutter. Sometimes kids are playing in the gutter, right? And that stuff's horribly, you know, horribly mm-hmm. dirty. Uh, it goes most of the time untreated into creeks and then into rivers and into lakes and oceans, right? So we don't clean that stuff up. And it's important to think about why, right? So we're going back to the industrial kind of age of our cities. You know, we wanted to move that stuff out of here as fast as possible. It carried disease. We just, you know, it was a waste product. Mm-hmm. And we start think about cities of today and cities of the future and kind of stewarding our waterways and water resources. Stormwater becomes something that we want we want to see as a positive like source of, of water that we can invest in our community. So we're trying to change our mindset, uh, our communities, our cultural mindset around stormwater. Now, Mark, can you talk to us a little bit about how do the urban waters and the waterways issues impact human health? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, taking a, a global approach to it, we're dumping about every single day, we're dumping about 2 million tons of sewage, industrial, and agricultural waste into our into our into the world's waters. And it has a huge huge impact on uh, public health. When you think about, uh, you know, I don't know what, how the numbers have been skewed during COVID, but pre-COVID, over half the world's hospital beds were filled with people suffering from a waterborne illness, a waterborne disease. And every year, about 3.2 million children under the age of five are dying from not enough water or improper or, or sanitation. You know, we see people getting sick in waterways all, you know, all over, the, over this country, too. I mean, citizens should never have to worry about whether or not it's safe for them or their children to drink from their local waterway or to be able to, to recreate in that waterway. But it's Can you give us some popular examples that people have heard about but may not realize? Sure, yeah. I mean, it was a few years ago in Alabama, there was a teenage boy who was playing with a friend in a lake, and he cut his foot and ended up hospitalized with a bacterial infection. Uh, there was a boy in, in swimming in a lake in Minnesota. He got sick and hospitalized from unsafe water conditions, and it was due to blue-green algae, which was a result of inadequate agricultural practices. They found two dogs that died from the same in the same lake. And you hear the, always hear the stories about surfers in some of the heavily populated areas of, of Southern California, like the famed Malibu Coast or other places getting sick from polluted ocean water coming from 
stormwater and, and fun, uh, improperly functioning septic systems leaking into the water. And, and, and you know, what about that city in Michigan? Was it Flint? Absolutely. Uh, that one everyone should know about exactly. Yeah. But I want, you know, it's, it's very real and very something that could happen to all of us if we're not on the alert. But it also gives the impact of your, your water system to which your urban water and waterways are, are flowing into. Yeah, well, it's all related to the conversation we had before about not investing enough in our infrastructure. And we've seen that, you know, they're, they're having uh, lead issues in pipes in Newark, New Jersey, for example. And we know lead causes you to, uh, you know, reduces IQ points in, in, in young children. So we're robbing kids of their future potential by not investing in our, in our infrastructure and in our, in our water systems. And every here and there, we here in North Texas, in the various cities, will get a, I think it's called a boil water alert. Mm-hmm. And what's that about? I'm assuming there's some kind of bacteria or something in there that is unhealthy for you. That's a testament to this theme that's kind of running throughout our conversation. Right? We have a dependence on not just the urban waterways themselves or the waters that nourish our, our urban communities, but on the infrastructure that is part of our stewardship of urban waters. Right? And if there's a boiled water alert, that means that something has failed in that line. Right? And so the question is, what? Is it a factor of underinvestment? And so we have failing infrastructure, or are there some systemic problems um, further upstream within the water that then require treatment that isn't provided. So there can be a number of reasons why we have bullet water alerts, but that's a red flag for why our infrastructure that's providing and nurturing our communities isn't functioning. That's one of the things I don't think a lot of people realize is associated with floods also. It's like we think oh, floods, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get flooded out of my house or whatever, but I guess we here in Texas going through some years back with what happened down in Houston with the oil plants and the chemical plants and all that flooding and got mixed up in all the water. Yeah, if you've ever seen a treatment plant that makes your water safe to drink, it's locked in a bunch of open tanks. And so flooding that's flooding your streets and in your, your yards is also flooding those tanks, right? The, the treatment facility is not able to produce safe water uh, and distribute it out to the community. And you think about climate change impacts and where many of those are located, right? So often your wastewater plants and your drinking water plants are in relatively low-lying areas adjacent to waterways that flood. So as we look at either sea level rise or, you know, heightened precipitation, greater storm events, those are very vulnerable facilities. I have to think then that the urban waters or the urban waterways are, that's one of their vulnerabilities, and that is flooding Mm -hmm. from regular, from the weather or in, in my hometown of Austin, Texas, they actually regulate the impervious cover when you go get yeah. when you go to get a, a building permit. So Mark it's, it's, hinted it's, at this earlier. You know, when you have an unbuilt landscape, something like 85, 90% of your normal rainfall will, will soak into the ground. You pave over that and you reverse it, right? 85 to 90% or more of the rain that falls down, you know, now is stormwater and runs off. And that contributes to significant urban flooding. And I want to move now, but we're going to go to break. But I want to move after, right after the break to talk about the intersection of climate change and urban waters and urban waterways. How does that climate change impact everything? But I want to be able to connect the dots for people. So we'll be right back on the other side of the break with Mark Yagi with the Water Keepers Alliance and with Jeff Odafe with American Rivers. And they really are helping us unpack and understand this subject that seems simple on the surface, but has lots of nuances. Thank you. We'll be right back. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth 
Magazine, the Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority, or the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. And specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsor. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on urban waters and urban waterways. And we are back with Jeff Odafi with the American Rivers Organization and Mark Yagi with Waterkeepers Alliance. And they really are helping us understand this and making us all much smarter. So thank you all so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, now, again, right before the break, we were about to talk about climate change, the intersection of climate change and urban waters and urban waterways. Jeff, can you start us out on that? And then we'll hear from Mark on that as well. I'm going to take a regional perspective and, and provide one answer. All right. Okay. And I'm going to take advantage of the fact that, like you, I'm further west than Mark. And, you know, we, in, in arid parts of the country, we depend on snowpack and we depend on kind of seasonal rains, monsoons for our water supply, right? I'm sitting here today looking at a, a very dry winter season. You know, our predictability of, our, of rainstorms and snowfalls, you know, is no longer predictable, right? So um, we are increasingly vulnerable to having drought, having shortfalls in our water supply due to climate change. And that's going to be an, a, a problem, a challenge for our Western urban areas going on into the future, particularly in you know, California, Colorado, uh, Arizona, it's going to be like a, a big challenge for us. And how we respond will kind of determine the fate of our urban areas, but also the shape of our urban areas. I used to start off lectures or presentations with a tag, like a tagline, so like green infrastructure is going to save the world. And in some ways, the more we convert our like hardscape, impervious cities to cities that are greener and bluer, you know, making better use of water will determine how well we adapt as urban creatures to climate change. And that's, you know, that's all tied back into how we steward our water resources. Indeed. Thank you. Now, I also want to talk about the economics surrounding urban waters and waterways. And I know we earlier talked about infrastructure, which costs lots of economics. Uh, so I know that has some play as well. But you guys have been in the industry a while. Are there any statistics that perhaps what urban waterways add to the revenue of a city or take away or how they help or anything like that? When you quote economics about urban waterways, what do you talk about? Uh, American Rivers put out a series of papers last year documenting the economic value of rivers, particularly in Colorado. It was a very Colorado-focused study. But the findings would be, I think, appropriate or germane across the country. And 
surprise, I think is a surprise to many listeners, to many people, urban waterways are generally net economic benefic- benefits to urban Contributors, areas. yeah. And we, yeah, contributors. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Like we have riverfront business opportunities, which is the revitalization of riverfronts around the country. There are amenities for communities. There's one. Healthy rivers start in healthy cities, right? It's for reducing those kind of water quality and flash flooding impacts on downstream communities that may have maybe wilder rivers, right? So we have river river recreation that's significant economic drivers, particularly in our urban adjoining rural areas, right? So there's a well-documented link between healthy rivers and healthy economies. Absolutely. And I would add that, you know, a project that Jeff and I worked on together with New York City's drinking water was a was a prime example of the the economic value of nature, because the whole concept was that, you know, municipal water supplies are supposed to be filtered, but you can seek an exemption from EPA to having to build a massive filtration plant. And so what we did in New York was ultimately negotiate an agreement with 89 cities and towns, the EPA, the New York State, and um, created this program where we were going to protect the water at the source and have these free-flowing rivers and not build a filtration plant. And what it was, it was an investment of $1.3 billion over a 10-year period. The alternative was to build this filtration plant, which was going to cost $4 billion to $8 billion just to construct it, and then half a billion dollars a year to operate. So it just showed the, the vast, you know, the, the vast um, importance of waterways to our economy. Indeed. Thank you. And are there any numbers anywhere that, that talk about maybe the economics of health? when you you don't have adequate urban water and urban waterways by any chance? Bernice, I'm going to say yes, and there are. And we'll have to dig those up for you and make them available for your listeners to catch on the website. <laughs> Indeed. And, 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 you know, I imagine, especially with, uh, what is that, Flint, the city in Michigan, I imagine because that's one of our well documented, but it's not. I'm sure you guys, because you've been in the in the in the in the area so long. I'm sure there's some that are older before then too that may have some numbers where they could attach maybe some numbers to say, you know, this issue with the water system in this area caused X number of, of thousands or billions of dollars in healthcare. Yeah, and, we did it. We did a report a number of years ago called Banking on Green. And it's a, it demonstrates the economic value of these green infrastructure investments to manage stormwater. And some portion of that report um, collects uh, studies that link uh, polluted water to human illness and then attempts to quantify the monetary value of you know, reduced days at work or the cost of treating illness. And these are not made up numbers. You know, Mark gave us kind of some stark examples of individuals who've become sick, but that happens on a regular basis. And so there are some well-documented uh, economic impacts associated with human health degradation due to polluted waters. Indeed, and and, and I know there it, it's out there, but like you said, it's probably on a situation or area-wide basis. Now, we don't have that long to go, so I want to touch upon a couple of other things. Uh, one is we see water, water everywhere, yet there's, yet there's not enough for some people in some places, and we need to conserve. I lived for uh, about 17 years in South Florida, and it was hard to wrap my brain around any time they talked about conserving water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so we're calling this phrase, water, water everywhere, but we still have to conserve. What's with that? Let's start with you, Mark. And I know that, you know, urban waterways are into that 
part of things as well in terms of conservation. Yeah, well, it, we talked a little bit about earlier about in, investing in our infrastructure. We're losing so much water just from having faulty and aging pipes. And then, you know, Jeff touched upon being out west. I, I'm really concerned about, you know, the situation out west because it seems like we've got water managers out west in a lot of the states that he mentioned that are playing the game of, we're just going to get a really good snowpack and everything will be all fine, um, which is you can you know people will say is akin to a CFO of a, of a company about to go bankrupt taking the last quarter's earnings and going out to Las Vegas and betting on black. They'd be fired for having that kind of attitude. And you know we're looking at the prospect of, of Glen Canyon Dam not producing electricity for the first time ever, maybe this summer. Who knows? It's, it's so what tough. states would that be where they turn on the faucet and there's not a drop coming out? Looking at places like Jeff mentioned, Arizona and Utah, and and some of those lower basin states in the Colorado, uh, and the, the the attitude there is just uh, you can go into Arizona and talk to people and say we can implement these conservation measures for you. They're going to save millions of gallons of water per day. And you know what they'll say to you? If we don't use it, California will get it. <laughs> oh the my! There's not a collaborative approach right now to save the arid West. Until the, until they do turn on that faucet and nothing comes out, that may be the driving issue, uh-huh. and it, it it really might be. And we just have a couple of minutes um, to go uh, before we have to end. So I want to talk to y'all both, and we'll throw this first to Jeff about uh, what are some efforts to drive solutions to some of these major issues, and and how can ordinary people in their everyday lives help drive some of this? Yeah. Okay, so there are, I think collaboration in many forms and at many scales is providing us with some of these urban water challenges. Mark and I have spent a good conversation with you, Bernice, kind of giving a little bit of Debbie Downer on on some of the challenges that are associated with you know urban water. But you know, at a local level, at regional levels, you're seeing some pretty intense collaborations to create solutions. There are green infrastructure programs and funding solutions that are you know arising in the Great Lakes down to maybe South Florida. And then we have uh, within the Colorado River Basin some really some really impactful kind of multi-state developments that hopefully will will get us to the point where communities don't run out of water, turn on the tap, and nothing comes out. And more importantly, that the water becomes isn't become really really expensive. That's the other problem with scarcity. Yeah. And then that hit that really adversely affects economically disadvantaged communities. So yeah. there's there are some hopeful solutions. I I see. Uh, the rise of kind of wiser water use in urban areas. There's just a tremendous uh, amount of potential there. We're seeing some great innovation in cities like Los Angeles, uh, which is trying to get down to kind of like 50% of its water being sourced locally, um, which means putting water back in the ground, which means like making better use of conservation, which means capturing all that stormwater and turning it into a resource rather than a waste. So there is a lot of innovation in the water space. It's unfortunate that it doesn't get a lot of attention um, going back to that kind of outside, out of mind problem with water infrastructure. Thank you so much. You all have been so helpful in in helping us to understand the importance of urban waters and waterways. Well, Bernice, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for including me and reconnecting me with my old friend, Mark. And Bernice, thank you so much for having me here today. It's been great to connect with Jeff, and I really like how your show brings people together to talk about sustainability and health impacts and really directing the conversation towards solutions, and, and, uh, and that's how we're going to make change. Thank you. And we have been today with 
Jeff Odafi with American Rivers, and Mark Yagi with the Water Keepers Alliance. And again, they have made us much smarter. So thank you all. We really appreciate it. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to our show today on urban waters and urban waterways. Now, the conversation has started here, but our goal is for it to continue in your homes, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we all live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you, and join us again next week for more on our waters, our oceans, and conservation of that water. And listen in to any of our past shows on podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.